Well, thank you, Ignite Worship. Can we give them a round of applause, please? Thank you. You know, one of the great things about um, Disciple Now is that we get to focus uh, one weekend uh, on our student ministry and just pouring into them. And I'm always uh, grateful and thankful for um, those who uh, open up their homes to allow strange boys and girls to stay in them for a weekend. That can only be a God thing. Amen. And so, host homes, thank you so much for that. Moms and dads, grandparents, thank you for allowing our church to invest in your, uh, to your student and to your son or your daughter. We are so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for uh, John Sullivan and our student ministry as he faithfully preaches the Word of God. And I'm so thankful, church. Um, that you are a church, that we are a church that wants to invest in the generations behind us. Amen? Uh, that we want to pour into them. It may not look like us. It may not sound like us. But you know what? They love Jesus. And they need Jesus. Amen? And I'm so thankful for us as a congregation and for us as a church to pour deep, deep, deep roots into our student ministry. And I'm so thankful uh, for that. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure that you do, I want you to take them out. I want to go to, you to Acts chapter 13, please. Acts chapter 13, and as you are turning there, uh, I want to say one, one thing in particular right now. She's not here, but she's here every Sunday, Lily Smith. How many of y'all know Lily Smith? Most of you. Today is her 94th birthday. Let's give her a round of applause. She's not here, but we will remember that. Sweet, sweet lady that sits over here on my right, uh, your left. But uh, whenever you see her this week or if you know her, you reach out to her and you tell her happy, happy birthday. And again, just to remind you what uh, John mentioned to you about our scripture memory. Um, uh, we are on a two, two and a half year journey uh, memorizing scripture. And so we have two new verses uh, to memorize this coming month. So please make sure you get a, a memory uh, verse card so that you can uh, share that with your family and share that with your small groups as well. But Acts chapter 13, this is where we are, and today we are back in the book of Acts. You know, we started this journey actually last year. We started this journey through the book of Acts last year, and we are going to end the book of Acts sometime in the future. But we're on that journey, and so hopefully by the end of May, maybe even into June, um, we will go, we'll go into it. But uh, I want us to be in a, I want us to complete this book, and I'm so excited that you have been journeying with me uh, through this, because here's what I know about the book of Acts. There is absolutely nothing boring about the book of Acts. Amen? There's nothing boring about the book of Acts. I was uh, reading a story this past week of a pastor. He was a new pastor at his church. And after he preached his sermon, he came back to the, uh, to the doors where everybody was greeting him. And he had a, a young man came by and said these words to him. He says, Pastor, that was a dull and boring sermon. And the pastor was kind of taken aback by that, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to think about it. Well, a couple of minutes later, that same guy came by and said to him, Pastor, I don't think you prepared much at all for today's message. I mean, the pastor this time, he's getting really frustrated. About three minutes later, the same guy comes by again. And he says to the pastor, you really blew it this morning. You didn't have anything for us this morning. 
Well, that pastor was really obviously ticked off, and so he went, he went and found the, the chairman of the deacons, and he said, hey, t- this is what's going on. Tell me, this, this guy's been coming around. Tell me all these things. And the chairman of the deacon says, oh, don't worry about that guy. He only repeats what he hears. <laughs> well, I pray today is not boring. Amen? I pray today is not boring because, again, here's what I want you to know. Acts is not a boring book. It is a fast-paced, it is a fast-moving book that shows the spread of the gospel. And here's what happens in Acts chapter 13. We've made it from Acts 1 to Acts 12. But here in Acts chapter 13, there, this is where the book of Acts is boom. It just takes off. Here is a major, major change here in the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, one scholar says this is uh, the, the, the door hinges of evangelism. Uh, they fly open here in Acts chapter 13. In Acts 1 through 7, we talk about um, uh, the church uh, being born at Pentecost. Do you remember that story? Uh, Pentecost came and the church was born and the church stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, then in verses in chapters 8 through 12, the church then, then grows from Jerusalem Um, uh, to Judea and Samaria, and it expands. And so Acts 1 through Acts 12, it's about 14 years after Pentecost. And so, so far the church is growing, but here in Acts chapter 13, through the rest of the entire book, all the way to the end of uh, chapter 28, we are going to see the church expand. We are going to see it grow. Um, By the end of the book of Acts, we move from Jerusalem all the way to the city called Rome. Um, The church started with 120. By the end of the book of Acts, we're over hundreds and hundreds of thousands. We see Paul is now going to be our new character, and we're going to see that Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and when we come to the end of the book of Revelation, we will see that uh, the church has made it uh, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to Rome. It's now uh, in Ephesus is when the New Testament ends, but the gospel expands, and because of what takes place here in chapter 13, the gospel makes it all the way here to the Golden Isles. You and I, we are a result of what takes place here in Acts chapter 13. It's because the gospel goes. The gospel spreads. And so this morning, what I want to do, um, since it is the last uh, morning of Disciple Now, we're going to go our separate ways, students. I want to ask you a question, and I want to answer the question this morning, and it's this. Well, where do we go from here? Have a great weekend, spend time with friends, we spend time in God's Word, where do we go from here? For those of us who didn't participate in Disciple Now this weekend, and um, I still want to ask you a question and want to answer it this morning in Acts chapter 13, and here's the, the question for you. Where is God calling you to go? Students, where do we go from here? Adults, where is God calling you to go. Well, look with me at Acts chapter 13, and if you're with me this morning, say amen. amen. So I want to share with you three aspects of going that we find here in Acts chapter 13. Uh, follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Scripture should be on the screen uh, behind me, but pick up in verse number one, and this is what it says. And now there were at Antioch, now this is where the church is now located, is Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, and Simeon, who is called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And then you had this man named Saul. 
Verse 2, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Would you join with me in prayer this morning? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, and as we stand or, and sit and look at your word, Father, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move among us, that you would speak to us, and that you would show us where we need to go. Maybe you are calling somebody to go, but Father, I pray that today when we leave, when we leave here in a few minutes, I pray that we will leave changed, that we will leave more in the image of the resurrected Savior, Jesus the Christ. And I pray that when we leave, we will uh, be witnesses for you into a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said this morning, amen. Well, here's the first thing that I want you to see this morning regarding where do we go from here and where is God calling you to go? Here's the first thing I want you to see, and we see this in our text, and write this down. God is in the business of telling people to go. Amen? God is in the business of telling people to go. God has the authority in your life and in my life. God has the authority to tell us to go where he wants us to go. Now, if you remember in the book of Acts, if you look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and I believe it's on the screen as well, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, we have the, the, it's the theme verse for the book of Acts. It tells us what the book is going to talk about, and you know this, and you should have this memorized, church, but Acts 1-8 says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, in Acts 1-8, in the very first chapter of the book of Acts, um, God tells us two things that we need to know about about his idea about us going. Number one, God tells us this, if you are a believer, you are called to go as a witness. Amen? Amen? As a believer in Jesus Christ, when you step across the line of faith, when you become a believer in him, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you've died to yourself, you've received the gospel, you've turned from your wicked ways, you've repented, you've turned to follow Jesus, here's what Jesus says to every single person, you are to be my witness meaning you are to go. This is not an option. This isn't up for you to choose whether or not you want to participate in sharing the world's greatest message. Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, when do we receive the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. At that moment, at that instant of salvation, the Holy Spirit seals you seals you for all eternity so that you'll always spend eternity with Jesus, frees you from sin, but then gives you a command. You are to go on witness. You are to tell people about Jesus. 
Well, the second thing that we see in Acts 1-8 is this. Not only does Jesus tell us that we are to be his witnesses, he tells us where we are to go. He tells us where we're to go. He says, you go to Jerusalem, you go to Judea, you go to Samaria, you go to the uttermost parts of the world. And so from the very beginning of your call to Christ, and from the very beginning of the church, we are called to do two things. We're called to come to Jesus for salvation, and then we're called to go to others. Amen? Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and then we will go to others. Now students, there may be some of you here this weekend there may be some adults here this weekend as well where you may be, you may be hurt, you may be uh, depressed, you may be uh, disappointed, you may be broken, you may be lost, you may be, you fill in the blank. But let me tell you what Jesus says to you. Jesus says, come. He says, come unto me. He says, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I'm gentle, I am humble, and this is what Jesus says. He says, I will give you rest. Now there's some of you here today that you need to come to Jesus for the very first time. That you need to stop kicking against the goads, as Jesus said to Paul. That you stop. You repent of your sins, and you turn to follow Jesus. Before you and I can go on mission, you have to come to Jesus. But here's the great thing about following Jesus, is that once you come to him, he changes the verbs in our life from come to go. Where to go to people. You are called to go to those around us. You are called to go to tell others about what God has done in your life. Because why? Because God's in the business of telling people to go. Question, raise your hand. How many of you have ever sensed God telling you to go somewhere? Let me see your hands. Okay, very good. How many of you um, think you heard him say go, but you didn't know what that voice was? Raise your hands. Yeah, that's probably a, a lot of us. Listen, God has called you to go. Every single believer, he's called you to go. Because when you and I read scripture, when you go back and look at scripture, Genesis to Revelation, you see all the people that God told to go. Abraham, he said what? Go build, I mean, excuse me, um, uh, um, Noah, I don't know where to think of Abraham. Uh, he said, Noah, go build an ark, right? Abraham, leave your country, go to a place I show you. Um, uh, Gideon, go fight this battle. All throughout scripture, we see God say, go. So students, what do we do from this point on? Number one, you stay awake during the rest of the sermon, amen? <laughs> right? Adults, that goes for you too. Number one, he says this, that you go because God has the authority to tell you to go. And he can tell you to go, and he can tell you where he wants you to go to tell his message. Here's number two. Write this down. The second thing we're going to learn in our text is this, is that once we go, we have a message. We have a message, and that message is the gospel. Pick up our text in verse number four. Pick up our text in verse number four. And it says this, so 
being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, uh, talking about Paul and Barnabas, uh, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached Salimus, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Now question, in our text, what did Paul and what did Barnabas preach? What did they preach? It says they preached the word of God, which means they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means they told people about Jesus. They told them about Jesus from the Old Testament. They told them the good news. And if you were to look at the rest of the chapter, Acts chapter 13, we're not going to look at it, um, all of it this morning, but if you look at the rest of Acts chapter 13, you will see what Paul shared wherever he went on a mission. Look in verse number 23, it says this. He tells people, God's brought to Israel a Savior, meaning whenever we go tell people the gospel, it begins with Jesus. We tell people about Jesus. Look down at verse number 28, and it says this, and then Paul tells them that people put him to death. We know that God sent Jesus, but people put him to death. Verse 30, it says this, but then God raised him from the dead. Do you see the gospel being laid out? We have Jesus that God gave us. He put to death for our sins. But verse 30 says that God raised him from the dead. Then look at verse 38 and 39. I think this is amazing. This is what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. This is their message. Verse 38 says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, and through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed from the law. And here's what Paul and Barnabas do. They go into this place. They go going to Cyprus, and they tell people, God sent his son to pay the penalty of your sins, meaning that you have been separated from Christ because of the sins that you have committed, and that you have turned your back on him. But here's the good news. Christ paid the penalty of your sins. They put him on the cross. They buried him. But then the scripture tells us this, but three days later, God raised him from the dead. This is all part of the gospel. God raised him from the dead. Why did he raise him from the dead? Verses 38 and 39 tell us why God raised Jesus from the dead, so that you could be forgiven of your sins, which means you can be free from your sins. Now, students, I want you to listen to me closely. All students, eyes up here. Open your eyes for just a few seconds, all right? I can let you go back to sleep here in a few minutes, all right? But here's what I want you to listen to. Adults, you can sleep for a second, okay? But students, this is why God saved us. This is why God delivered us, is so that you would be freed from any type of addiction. So that you would not be bound to what other people think of you. So that you are not bound to find your um, identity and other things outside of Jesus. He saved you so that you can live a life of freedom on this side of eternity. He saved you to live a life that would bring him glory, that would bring him honor, and so that you would be able also to tell others about the good things that Jesus has done in your life. That's why he saved you. Adults, wake up for just a second. He did that for you as well. That you no longer have to live in any bondage or any sin. You do not have to live a life of sin anymore. 
because Jesus Christ paid the penalty of your sins and freed you. And because God raised him from the dead, you are no longer slaves to sin. Paul would write later in Galatians, he says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So don't go back to bondage. This is the gospel message. And this is the message that we have. And this is the good news that we have. That God delivers us from our sin. We don't have to walk in those things anymore. But also that we do have eternal life with him. That's good news. That's good news and that is worth sharing. And here's the reality, whenever we are going on mission and we go tell people about Jesus, and, and we all need to hear this, whenever we go on mission, our conversation is always about Jesus and the goodness of who he is. Listen, many of us have been on mission trips before. If you haven't been on a mission trip, I want to encourage you. Um, one of the things that I desire in the life of our church, and I hope we can uh, continue to get better at this, is that my desire, my hope, my prayer will be for everybody in this congregation, as long as you're a member here, that you go on mission trips. Locally, states, national, international. Anybody want to go to Paris this summer? They got the Olympics there. Hey, listen, you want to go? Listen, they need missionaries to go. If you would like to go to Paris and go run in the 100 meter dash, well, maybe hand the water to them, I don't know what you'll be doing. But they need people to go. The International Mission Board needs people to go. But here's the deal, when we go on mission, when we go across the streets, we don't go to tell them how good we are. We tell them how good Jesus is. We tell them what he's done in our life. And we tell them that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. Folks, right now there are over eight billion people in our world and about three billion of them have no known access to the gospel. And students, there may be somebody here today. Students, wake up again, just listen to this. I'm teasing folks, they're awake. I promise you they're awake. But I want you to listen to me. My prayer, since I've been your pastor for almost 10 years, my prayer is that God would raise up somebody in these aisles, in these rows, in these chairs, to be pastors and to be missionaries. that one of you in this spot right now, I believe that God's calling you. And I believe that God's calling you to go to places that your mom and dad does not want you to go to. Sorry, moms and dads. But are you with me? Because there's three billion people that need the gospel of Jesus. And if you have that, and if we have that, and we do not share the good news with those who don't have it, woe, are we? Well, God is in the business of telling us to go. And then we go, God gives us a message. Well, let me give you the third thing. But let me ask this. I will only give you the third thing if you want to hear the third thing. Do you want to hear the third thing? Yeah. All right, all right. Because it's about to get really good. That was all just free, what I just shared with you. This is about to get really, really good. All right, here you go. Write this down. The gospel 
often spreads to those closest to you. The gospel often spreads to those who are closest to you. Pick up in verses four, we're gonna read verses four and five again, and we'll make our way through verse 14 here in just a few moments. But I want you to lead, I want you to follow along. Look again in verse four, five, and six. Watch this. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So we have Paul and Barnabas, they have made it from Antioch to Cyprus. And when they reached Selimus, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their helper. Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, stop there for just a second. One of the things that I was wrestling with as I was preparing this text and asking questions about this text was this. I get that God can tell us to go. I get that God has a message for us. I get that. I understand that. But where does God really want us to go? How do we know who to go talk to? How do we know where we need to go? Yes, we've got this great message, but where do we go? Yes, the Holy Spirit will guide you, but yes, I, I get all that. But what does God really have a place for me to go tell somebody. Well, when you read this text, and this is Paul's first missionary journey, and Paul visits six different cities in this missionary journey. And I, what, I, what you see, what I'm about to show you, you will see why God sent Paul and Barnabas to these few places. The first place they go to is Cyprus. Now here's a picture of, of the island of Cyprus. Who wants to go there? I mean, that's pretty nice. That's a really cool place. But right here, um, uh, this is a synagogue. This is a synagogue where Paul and Barnabas preached in a verse number five called a Salimus. This is where they preached. So when they first come from Antioch to Cyprus, this is where they go. This is a beautiful setting. And they share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the question, why did they go to Cyprus? Why did Paul and why did Barnabas go to Cyprus? Well, let's let scripture interpret that for us. Acts chapter four, go to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four, verse 36, I want you to read this and see if we can figure out why they went to Cyprus and see if we can make this application. It says this, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, whose name was also called, what's his name? His Barnabas. The apostles called him Barnabas because that means son of encouragement. So question, where was Barnabas born? Cyprus, three of you got it right. Yes, yes, Barnabas is born in Cyprus. Is your mind blown yet? Not yet? Okay, what else does the text tell us about Barnabas? What do we know about Barnabas? Now Joseph, what was he? Joseph, also called Barnabas, what does the text say? He was also what? He's a Levite. Does anybody have an idea what that means? He's a priest. Let's do a little Old Testament history, shall we? 
because it's about to get real exciting in here, and uh, you're on the verge of walking out, but I'm going to tell you, stay here, because it's going to get good. Barnabas, born in Cyprus, is from the tribe of Levi. When you go to the Old Testament, you go into the books of Numbers, and you go into Deuteronomy, you go into Leviticus, all the books that we stop reading our yearly reading Bible plans. When you get there, you find out about the tribe of Levi. In Numbers chapter 3, verse 12, this is what God says of the tribe of Levi. He says this, you're mine. You are mine. And what he's talking about, he's talking about how, how in our offerings we're to give of our first fruits of the firstborn. And he says of the tribe of Levi, remember there's 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi, God says this, you are mine. And he gives them specific rules for the tribe of Levi. He says this, you must live around the temple. You must live around the tabernacle. It means you've got to take care of the tabernacle. You've got to take down the tabernacle. You've got to carry all the posts. And one of the most important things that the tribe of Levi did was this, they carried the Ark of the Covenant. Great, pastor. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, what does that mean? It means this, listen. They carried the presence of God. And they stood as intermediaries between God and God's people. They spoke on half of the people to God, and God spoke to them, and they, the tribe of Levi, was to share that with the people. They had major responsibilities when it came to Israel's worship. They pointed people back to Yahweh. But here's what we need to understand about Israelites, about Jews, that we have Orthodox Jews, and we see this even in Scripture because these are the, uh, the biggest arguments that we see with Paul in the New Testament is that the Jews are still looking for whom? Jesus, the Messiah. Are you with me? They're looking. And so now, here in our text, Paul and Barnabas head from Antioch, and they go to Cyprus. Why? Somewhere along the life of Barnabas, he has found Jesus. He's found the Messiah. And being from the tribe of Levi, he had been looking for the Messiah, and he found Jesus. Is it possible that Barnabas said to Paul, hey man, I, the church has called us out. The church has called us to go. The church has said, you need to go tell others about Jesus. Is it possible that Barnabas said to Paul, man, I know where I need to go. My family is back in Cyprus. My family, they are taking care of the tabernacles, the synagogues, and they're around. And, and, and Paul, I know my family's looking for the Messiah, but, but, but they've missed him. I know Jesus. I've got to go tell my family. Is that possible? You want to know why I think that's possible? Here's why I think that's possible. Because I know that when I have good news in my life, the first people I call is I call my what? Family. 
when my girls, when they receive good news and they want to tell somebody, the first person they call is their mom. <laughs> and I get little tidbits of it later. I'm joking, they, they call both of us. But is it possible that Barnabas and Paul knew the importance of that personal relationship with Jesus Christ that Barnabas said to Paul, man, Paul, listen, I've got family. I've got family who are back in Cyprus. They're looking for the Messiah. I know the Messiah. I've got the message. Is that possible? It's well within the realm of possibility. Because the gospel often spreads to those who are closest to you. Let me give you another example. Was that good? Do you want some more? Awesome, because it's 11.36 and I've got more. Can you give me just a couple more minutes? Can you do that? Y'all said that with so much joy. Yes, pastor. Yes. Let's, re let's read the rest of this text, okay? Let's read it and then, then we'll close. Pick up in verse number, uh, verse number six, okay? Follow along, we'll, we'll get through this. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Pathos, they found a magician, a Jewish uh, false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. Parents, do not name your child Bar-Jesus. <laughs> Verse 7, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Underline that name. We're going to come back to that in just a second. It's important. Who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And the man summoned, the man summoned Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. Verse 8, but Elamus, the magician, that's Bar-Jesus, was opposing them and seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 9, but Saul, also known as Paul, by the way, Saul did not change his name to Paul, that was already his name. Little Bible trivia there. But Saul, who is known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon Elamus, and he said, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. That's a great introduction, by the way. If you want to meet somebody, call him the son of the devil. <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Verse 11, now behold, now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, and you will not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and the darkness fell upon him, on Bar-Jesus, and, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Verse number 12, and then the proconsul Sergius Paulus believed. That means he became a believer in Jesus. When he saw what had happened, and being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. In Cyprus, Paul and Barnabas lead this man named Sergius Paulus to the Lord. But immediately what happens? Opposition. We see that. On a, on a real quick side note, Barnabas right here, here's history, little history lesson for you. Tradition says that Barnabas uh, died a martyr's death about 15 years after this text. Barnabas travels around the rest of the Middle East world, comes back 15, year, 15 years to, uh, to Cyprus, goes back and preaches in the synagogue where Bar-Jesus is. He preaches the message, riles people up, and the town revolts against him. 
puts a rope around Barnabas' neck, drags him across the street, and they kill him. Guess, according to tradition, guess who led the revolt? Bar-Jesus. Isn't that pretty cool? Whenever you share the gospel, and students listen, whenever you share the gospel, it can cost you your life. It can cost you your life. But the book of Revelation says this though, that the blood of the martyrs are around the throne singing praises unto our heavenly Father. Meaning if you are martyred for the faith, you're actually mentioned in the Bible that the blood of the martyrs are crying out in worship and our faith is built upon those who've given their life completely to Jesus. Students, listen, you are living in a time where you have, to got, you have to make a decision. You can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. You've got to make a choice. And it's going to cost you. It will cost you. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth every bit of opposition that you'll ever go through. It's worth it. The gospel is worth it. Jesus is worth it. It's worth giving up your life to this world. It's worth everything to give your life unto all of eternity for Jesus Christ and to live as a light and a salt unto the earth. It's worth it. It's worth losing friends. It's worth it. It hurts, but it's worth it. Amen, church? Amen. It's worth it. Well. Look at verse 13. I'm going to close with this. 13 and 14. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea for Paphos and came to Persia and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. By the way, John here in verse 13, this is John Mark who wrote the book of Mark. Um, uh, it is John Mark and Barnabas, they're cousins. Huh. 14. But going on for Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Here's my last question for you, okay? Hang with me. Just give me just a couple more minutes. Why did they go to Pisidian Antioch? And why did they stay there? Why? Well, let me show you this, and I think this will help us answer this question. Remember that name, uh, Sergius Paulus? Remember that? Remember that name? Pisidian Antioch, why did Paul and Barnabas go there? Well, let me show you something. This is one of the greatest archaeological finds um, in biblical history. Please go to the picture of the stone, please. You see that right there? Can anybody read that? That was found in the early 1900s, along with multiple other stones that were dated back to 54 A.D., and that stone right there, you can see the letter P in it. Do you see that? This stone actually says Sergius Paulus and his family live here. This was found in Pisidian Antioch. You get it? Why did Paul and Barnabas go to Pisidian Antioch? 
Because who was living there? Sergius Paulus's what? His family. The gospel goes through families. Moms and dads, the book of Deuteronomy says whenever you sit down, whenever you walk, you talk about scripture with your children. You see in the story of Jesus calling his disciples, he calls brothers, Peter and John, Peter and Andrew, James and John. He calls families. Jesus heals a, a demon-possessed man, and, and, and the demon-possessed man says, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to go where you want to go. And Jesus says to him, no, no, you can't follow me, but here's what I want you to do. You go back home to your family, and you go back to your friends, and you tell them what I've done for you. Church, you and I are called to go, but it goes through our family. And you need to tell your children, students, you need to tell your brothers and sisters, grandparents, you need to tell your parents, your, your children, you need to tell your grandchildren. The faith is passed along by those that we are closest to. So, as we go and as we close tonight, this morning, who's near you? that needs to hear the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Father, I thank you for everybody that is here this morning. And Father, I pray that you would just put a burden on our hearts to tell others about you and let it begin with our families. And may we tell them how good and how great you are. Father, I thank you for all of our students. I pray that you would call them into the ministry. I pray that you would call them into the mission field. And I pray that we as a church would see it, acknowledge it, and confirm it. So, Father, hear our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.